Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We'll start with verse 9. The Apostle Paul writes this. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, I love that. While we have opportunity, let us do what? Good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul admonishes us to not lose heart and to not grow weary. Now, I really believe that every one of us can struggle at times with losing heart or growing weary. Without a show of hands, how many could say, yes, pastor? I mean, we've, you can raise your hand. It's okay. But, you know, I don't want to embarrass anybody. But we all go through these issues in life where you're like, man, I'm, just, I'm growing faint of heart. I'm, I'm growing weary. Why do I feel this way? In fact, I'm reading this letter, which is like 2,000 years ago it was written. And I'm realizing that Paul's letter speaks directly to our hearts, doesn't it? Because we all go through these seasons. So what do we do when we face these moments? When we face the seasons of burnout and the sense of wanting to give up, especially when it comes to Christian service or walking out our purpose and our calling. How many know we have a purpose and calling? I mean, if, if you live life and don't feel like you have a purpose, it, I mean, everything seems to want to shut down because you're like, why am I here? You know, a lot of the, the things that we see that happen in society, we're like, how could that person do that? They don't have a sense of purpose. They don't know who they are. They don't know whose they are. And so it causes us to act out something that we're not. So let's talk about that today as we look into the idea of friendship with God, the key ingredient. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity this morning. Every Sunday we join in worship, worshiping you, magnifying you, focusing on you, or sometimes refocusing on you, making you the main thing in our life. I pray that as we look into the scriptures today, that we would have this, this repentance in our heart. Repentance means to change our mind, that we would see things completely different. You would change our paradigm today so we could walk in more freedom and grow in more maturity in who we are in Christ. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here because we're here. And your desire is to minister healing, health, encouragement, and restoration to us. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I was thinking about this just yesterday when I was going over my notes. And I was thinking about when I was a kid, uh, did you ever have food groups or foods, particular foods that you just did not like when you were a kid? For me, I had two main foods that I did not like. Number one, Brussels sprouts. Someone amen, so I'm in the right house today. Now, some are like, no, I love Brussels sprouts. I didn't like Brussels sprouts, and I didn't like meatloaf. You're like, how could you not like meatloaf? I'm I'm telling you, I just did not like Brussels sprouts. I did not like meatloaf. Now, my mom's not here today, so I can razz her a little bit. No, my, my dad used to have this joke in the house. My, my mom would admit if she was here, she would say, I was never a good cook. I was not good in the kitchen. Now, I was blessed enough to marry a wife who was amazing in the kitchen, amazing with baking, as you can tell, and I love eating everything she makes. But my mom wasn't so good. It was a little lackluster in the cooking department, and she would admit that. 
okay? I'm not just saying it because he's not here. In fact, my dad, would you want a little Christian joke for you, for you, you know, old school believers? He used to say when, when Kathy would cook, it was burnt offerings to the Lord. Now, if you've been in church for a while, you get that. If you're not, I'll explain it later. But, you know, he would call them burnt offerings, and they would laugh about it because she knew she wasn't that good in the kitchen. Why did I not like Brussels sprouts? Well, first of all, we weren't real heavy in the seasonings and things like that. I mean, we, you know, in the last, what, 15, 20 years, we've had Food Network and we've had the internet and all these things. And you see people who aren't chefs trying to be chefs. And we have competition shows where people are trying to be the best chef. And we're learning seasonings and things. Well, my mom didn't have all that. This is the 80s, folks. So it was like, here's Brussels sprouts. We pour them out of the bag. We heat them up. And there you go. I mean, no salt, nothing. I'm like, wow, Brussels sprouts are not very good. In fact, I remember I used to chew up those eight Brussels sprouts. It felt like 800 on my plate. And I'd chew them up, and I had this little thing where I would wipe my mouth with my napkin, and that Brussels sprout would end up chewed up in my napkin until one day my mom looked in the garbage and go, why is your napkin full of Brussels sprouts? I don't know. But then we got a dog. It was amazing. But you know what? The dog didn't like Brussels sprouts either. Yeah. He's like, who is this lady, and why is she cooking in this house? You know, meatloaf was a whole different thing. Even the idea of loaf of meat. I guess it sounds better when you say meatloaf. But my mom would make meatloaf, and, and she did her best. And, and there, I think one of the key ingredients she put in it was applesauce. Now, I, in the 80s, it was all about low fat. I remember, low fat, don't eat fat. Fat's evil, right? Now we've learned that you can do diets that are all fat, and apparently it's good for you. But back then, woo woo, yeah. But back then, it, she would she would add like applesauce or something to it, and I just I never have liked sweet meats. I like savory meats, and I just didn't really. It was something weird about it. But of course, I had to eat it. So I had to eat my Brussels sprouts and meatloaf, and God forbid, it was all in one setting in the same meal. But it wasn't until later in life that as Food Network came out and these different things, and we started learning the difference between making things bland and plain and putting some key ingredients in it, that it changed everything. I mean, I didn't realize until now that you can change things by adding key ingredients. I discovered something, that it's all about the ingredients. Can I get an amen? Let me ask you this. Have you ever had candied bacon Brussels sprouts? Lord Jesus make you want to speak in tongues and slap your mama. I mean, like, like, that's the kind of Brussels sprouts that I could eat. And when I first ate these candied bacon Brussels sprouts, I'm like, I could eat like a dozen in a setting. These are amazing. Have you ever had bacon-wrapped meatloaf? Oh, mama. God is good, right? Bacon-wrapped meatloaf is amazing. And I just realized something. What is the key ingredient? Bacon. <laughs> Bacon is from the Lord. Thank God we are not Jewish, folks. The key ingredient is bacon. I mean, you put bacon on anything and it becomes amazing, right? We had bacon to chocolate and we're like, wow, I thought chocolate was good before bacon. But now check it out. We add ingredients. Why? It changes the dynamic. It changes everything, doesn't it? And so it's all about the key ingredient. Sometimes this Christianity thing can become dull and tasteless. I've been here. I'm speaking from experience. But it's not because it's supposed to be that way. I want you to understand something. Christianity, walking this life in Christ, should not be bland. It shouldn't be tasteless. There's some key ingredients or a key ingredient that maybe we're missing. So what is the missing ingredient? If life in Christ has become hard, if it's become unenjoyable and bland, 
let's add weary and disheartening to that list, then what ingredients are we missing? I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about this idea of friendship with God. And I believe that this is a key ingredient in life. Now, if you look back at Galatians, Paul here, he's not mincing words. If you've ever read this letter, this is a really fiery letter. I mean, Paul is having some issues because some Judaizers have come into the church in Galatia and they've convinced people that Jesus wasn't enough. They had a little bit, had a little bit of law, a little bit of Moses, a little bit of sacrifice to it. We need to change some things around. And if we add to it, it makes it better. And, and Paul was pretty fiery in this letter to the Galatians. Who has bewitched you, he says. Have you so easily forgotten the gospel that I preached to you? But he doesn't mince words concerning the idea of bearing one another's burdens. Do you know, folks, we're supposed to do that. We should always be looking for, is there somebody in need? Is there someone that has a burden that I can help in that, in that area of life, that I can help bear that load with them? This is really the heart of Christ, amen? So he doesn't mince words concerning this idea of bearing one another's burdens, so fulfilling the law of Christ. He says, what is the law of Christ? It's the law of love. Jesus gave us one main command. He said, love others as I have loved you. And then what did he say at one point? They said, what is the most important of all the commandments? He says, love the Lord your God and love neighbor as yourself. There's something about this love thing, right? This, this is the law of love. This is what Jesus came to show us. He said, you know, the tablets of stone were great for a time. But really, if you look at the tablets of stone, the first four were just getting our focus back on God, making him the only one in our life. Why? Well, not because he had a huge ego. He knew that our connection to him would change everything. If our focus is right, then the last six is all about living justly as a society. So he was just painting a picture of what it looks like when we focus on God and we live justly. But I think for some of us, we don't quite get that. We can't quite wrap our head around this idea. So looking back at Galatians 6, 9, Paul says, let us not lose heart in doing good. Don't lose heart, folks. Keep doing what you know to do in love. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Now, I love this all people. Because sometimes we do good to everybody here in the church. No, this is all people. And he says, especially to those of the household of faith. I love this in the Mirror Bible. Francois de Troyes says this, every good deed has a predictable harvest. Let's not get discouraged in the in-between times. I love this. Think about that. How many have ever been in the in-between times in life? Some of you would say, I'm in between right now. And I feel like it's been a year that I've been in between. He encourages us. He says, don't get discouraged in the in-between times. And he explains, make sure your good deeds are love-driven rather than duty-driven. We talk about this a lot, don't we? What should the motivation for what we do be? It should always be love. So what we do should be love-driven, not duty-driven. And he explains further, he says, faith works by what? Love. Duty works by willpower. Wow. You know, the Galatians were really dealing with this willpower issue. We can do this on our own. I want to prove myself 
to God. He goes on in verse 10 to say, let us take advantage, I love this, of every opportunity to be a blessing to everyone we meet without neglecting our fellow faith family. You know, I heard this quote the other day. I just, I had to write it down. Either Jesus is in us or it's up to us. Either Christ in you, the hope of glory, is in you, working and living his life through you, or it's up to us. Either we choose to depend on our relationship with God to do the things he's called us to do, or we say, all right, I'm putting on my boots, I'm putting on my hard helmet, I'm putting on my gloves, and I'm getting to work. Check this out, God. See what I can do for you. But the Holy Spirit's saying, wait, 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 wait. You're co-laborers with Christ. We do life together. So how will you do it? Love-driven or duty-driven? I'm telling you right now, if you do life duty-driven, I'm not talking about poop. I'm talking about duty, right? Sometimes it could be a pretty crappy life. But I'm talking about duty-driven where everything we do is this is my duty and I must do this. I'm telling you, you will face burnout. It might take a month, maybe two, maybe three, maybe four, but you'll face burnout. I'm telling you, I know there's people in here today who have faced burnout in what God's called them to. They face burnout in this walk of Christianity. And so we, we come into church because we're like, okay, I need to go to church. I'm supposed to do that. And if they could just maybe lift me up and encourage me somehow. And unfortunately, you know, listen, we all have issues. We're all learning. We're all growing in revelation. But I, I think Sunday mornings are the time that the enemy just takes the day off and chills and sips some pina coladas and has no worries because there's so much condemnation coming from pulpits all over the world. He doesn't have to do anything because people are being told, get your act together. Come on, do it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Are you working hard enough? And that's not the gospel, folks. What we do should be an outflow of a love relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. In fact, it goes even further into a friendship that we have with God. Earlier, we talked about the missing ingredients in food. Well, what is the missing ingredients in our Christian life? There is, capital I-S, an ingredient that keeps us from losing heart. An ingredient that keeps us from growing weary. This isn't something I'm making up. I'm telling you the truth. There's a way that you cannot face burnout. There's a way that you cannot grow weary. What is that way? Well, Jesus tells us in John 15. John 15 and verse 15. I really want you to capture what Jesus is saying here because these are powerful words. He says, I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, say that with me, instead. So he's taking us from this idea of being a servant, being a slave. He says, instead, I have called you, what? Friends. Wait a minute. You, you've called us friends. We have to understand something. If, first of all, if you're doing flat readings of the Bible, it's boring. And if the Bible's boring to you, you're not reading it right. I'm just telling you straight, you're not reading it right. I've been there. I do my proverb of the day. I do a psalm. Go through the Bible in one year. I don't think I've ever done that in one year. It's taken several years to get through the Bible. Now, some of you, you know, you're just word nerds anyway, so you just do it. But if you're not, 
if you're not finding excitement and, and, and life in the words of the Bible, now we know that the word of God is Jesus Christ, right? But what does the Bible do? It points to the word of God. So if we understand culture and history and what was being said, it makes everything different. We have to understand this Jewish mindset at this time. When Jesus said that God calls you friend, they were like, what are you, what have you been smoking, Jesus? Friend? I go to the temple and I know that distant God. But this idea of friend, this idea of father, he's referring to God as a father. Now in the Jewish mind, you'd be like, wait, wait, father and friend? What are you talking about? God loves us unconditionally? This isn't making sense, Rabbi Jesus. In fact, the stuff he was saying came against the Jewish temple establishment and the empire of Rome at the time, and that's why he ended up being crucified. I mean, when you say stuff about you're a king and you have a kingdom, you're facing crucifixion. That's just what's going to happen, right? But Jesus says, I have called you friends. And then he says, for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. If you want to know what God is like, you need to look at Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time that God has not been like Jesus. But the thing is, we didn't know it yet, but now we do because Jesus came and he explained them to us. He has made known to us this fact that God wants to be our friend. When I was reading through this, I thought, wow, God, this is amazing just to kind of be refreshed in this idea of friendship. But you know, I thought about the fact that God's my father. And have any parents here ever told their children that, listen, I'm your parent, I'm not your friend, right? I'm your parent, I'm not your friend. So I kind of had this idea and I went, okay, Jesus, kind of explain this to me because how can you be a parent yet must be friends? And I started thinking forward to as my kids grew up. Now, it's one thing when your kids are, you know, 6, 8, 10, 12, 15, 18, but when the kids grow up into this 20s, mid-20s time, you know your relationship takes a turn, right? I could say this, that my two oldest children, who are both past mid-20s now, can you believe it? Because I'm still in my 20s. I don't know how that works out. We have a genuine friendship together. I mean, we have, you know, there's a respect there that, that I'm dad, but there's a genuine friendship that we have together like we talk differently when they were seven and eight and ten and twelve thank god that'd just be kind of weird right <laughs> jonathan did you wipe good you know i'm 27 dad and that wouldn't make sense i don't know where they came from it wasn't in the notes and it wasn't the holy spirit so just disregard it when they get in their mid-20s we get to this point where there's a genuine friendship and i went it was like it hit me. It's maturity. When we mature in our relationship with God as a father, there comes a point where in maturity we see him as not just a father, and we respect that, but we see him as a friend. And, and this idea of God being a friend, I think it's a key ingredient to us not growing weary in well-doing. I think it really hinges on this idea. So when we read this, what does this realization of friendship do? I think it does two things. Number one, it changes our approach to him. And number two, it changes our view of how he approaches us. Because we'll approach him differently when we see him as not just a father but a friend. 
but then it changes our view. See, it's, it's this continual Romans 12 too, where we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, where we're taking these old thoughts and we're changing them out for new thoughts that God's given us, lies for truth, right? And so it's not that God approaches us in a different way. It's our view changes of how he approaches us. So how does this really work itself out? Well, first of all, you approach him upon the basis of what he has already made of you. You know, drawing near to him, speaking to him, or listening to him in faith about what he thinks of you. I'm telling you, this, this is the way to live an invigorated life of awe. You know, God is an awesome God. And he's an awesome father. He's an awesome friend. It helps you to not grow weary and well-doing. So it changes the way that we approach him. It's also the way to recognize just how much he seeks you out. See, again, it's, it's changing the view of how he approaches us. Did you catch that? It changes the view of how he approaches us. I mean, how does God approach us? I mean, he just wants to spend a few moments with us. To share a secret, to drive out fear, to remove an anxiety by telling you the truth about who you are and showing you who he really is, to provide real lasting joy and love and peace. This is what he desires for you. He's really good at being your friend because he's actually made you his friend. Because Jesus said, you're no longer servants. I call you friends. In James, he tells us this in James chapter 2, he says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. So what is a friend? In John 15, 15, the word friend in the Greek is philos and it means this. I want you to get this. It means dear to God. Do you know that you're dear to God? It goes on to say this peculiarly or more than usually favored with his intimacy. Wow. Can I get a wow? More than usually favored with his intimacy? Do you see this language? I love the Greek. It's so beautiful in the mood and the tense and to see it. He's saying, God desires intimacy with you. That's the friendship that he desires with you. Do you want the key ingredient to not face burnout or grow weary? Turn to God and say, you're my friend. You're my father. You love me. You care about me. You desire intimacy with me. Verbiage really matters. Words really do matter. Amen. Sometimes the word friend is just thrown around flippantly, kind of like the word love. I love you. I love you too. Yeah, we love you. I mean, it's all the time, but the word friend is so important. I mean, think about this. Friends like each other, not just love each other. I think for a lot of us, we can wrap our head around the idea that, well, God, I mean, God loves me. Of course, God is love. He's got to love me. But you know that he doesn't just love you. He likes you. Friends like each other. Friends share secrets. Friends laugh together. Friends make plans together. Friends rely upon each other through thick and thin, and they're intimately involved in each other's lives. Bottom line, they're there for each other. They're like, I'm for you. I'm not against you. That's what a true friend is. Have you ever had a true friend in life and you knew that they had your back? Do you realize that God wants the same relationship with you? 
where he's convincing you constantly through his grace and unconditional love that he's got your back, he has your best interest in mind, and all you have to do is say, okay, let's be friends. I think for some of us, it's like, well, you know, Jesus is my friend. Jesus loves me. Jesus might even like me, but I don't know about God. See, we got to get rid of that distorted picture of who God really is. Jesus came to show us the heart of the Father. He came to show us who God really was. And even in the Old Testament writings, people inspired. You know, when you're inspired to write something, you always write from the revelation level that you have. And so that's why we can look through, and as you see it progress, you'll go, okay, God was like this, okay, God's like this, okay, God's like that, okay, God's like this. And you'll actually see authors, as it continues, start changing their mind. They'll say opposite things from what the first person said. People go, well, well, how can, I mean, the Bible, man, there's no contradictions. Oh, yeah, there should be, because there were people who had certain revelation. And as they get closer to Jesus, they're starting to get a bigger and better picture of God. And then, boom, Jesus comes on the scene and he changes everything. He says, he's your father. He's your friend. He's good. He's loving. He's not angry. He's not retributive. He's actually happy and he's restorative and he desires health and wholeness and deliverance and healing in your life. And they looked at Jesus and went, what? That's not what the Old Testament writers wrote. But Jesus came to show us the truth of who God is. I think sometimes we've mixed up this idea of serving with being a servant or slave of God. See, religion has sold us on this idea that if I slave away for God, somehow I can garner more love, more blessing, or more presence. I don't mean like gifts that are wrapped up. I mean present, like him being present with us. If I do these things, Lord, then you'll be with me more. Listen, when you turn to God and realize that he gave 100% of himself to you, it would change everything. But a lot of us think this, well, I've got about 40% of them, and that person, they're really holy, I can tell, probably 80, and that dude, barely 10. I'm telling you right now. No, here's, here's the difference, the revelation of how much God they have is what's hindering them from walking out what God's called them to. Does that make sense? God gave us 100% of himself. God doesn't hold back on us. He says, here I am, 100% of everything I am, but now it's going to take time for you to see all those facets. That's what I love about the rabbis and the Jewish culture. They would take scripture and they would see it as this precious gem. And they would study and study this facet over and over. And they'd pull on it and they'd debate about it. And they'd, they'd come up with an opinion. Then they'd turn that gem around and they'd look at another facet and they'd pull on it. And they'd look more at one scripture. This is what they would do. And we do flat readings of the Bible and said, God said it. That settles it. I believe it. And we make bumper stickers and we put them on our car. Maybe we need to look a little deeper into the word. And if you don't have time to study, that's okay. Why don't you just look at the life of Jesus and who he showed God to really be? But here's the deal. Serving God is a high calling, but friendship with God is the feel. We could say it's the key ingredient. Yet if we could be sold on the idea that service is the highest compliment to God and not love reciprocated and friendship enjoyed, then it can soon make us weary and prevent us from discovering the full stature of our identity. Who are we and whose 
are we? See, a lot of times we made this service thing the main thing. I used to preach these messages. What are you doing for God? Are you working hard for God? Are you doing what you're supposed to do for the kingdom? Instead of this message, love reciprocated and friendship enjoyed is the most important thing because all your acts of service will flow out of that. And when they do, it's a love-driven life. Big difference. It's a love-driven life. And I'm telling you, when you have that friendship and that love, it changes everything. Like, you don't face burnout. I can be honest with you. I can be physically tired. You know, counseling people and doing things in the community and studying and just a day-to-day. And, and I can be physically tired, but man, I am never, I, I'm being God's honest truth, I am never burnt out on my relationship with my father, but it took me years to figure this out. If, if I hadn't got this revelation, I don't know if I'd even be pastoring right now. I'll be honest with you. Pastoring is not easy. You know, I, I got into it because I thought I just golf all week and then I just show up on Sundays. I was wrong. I'm joking because I don't even golf. You don't want to see my golf game. It's like I lose more balls in the trees than go on the greens. It's a life where people look to you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they look to you for answers. And I'll tell you, one of the best things that happened to me is when I realized that I can go, I don't know. I don't have to have every answer, but I'm here for you. Let's pray through this. Let's work through this together. But I tell you, when you live a life that is a, a friendship with God and he's your loving father and it's, it's love-driven, it changes everything, folks. I'm telling you, it changes everything. It's not hard anymore. I, I don't feel obligated like, oh my gosh, I, okay, I'm walking in this place. Holy Spirit, tell me, who's, who am I getting saved today? Well, first of all, he's going, you don't get anybody saved. You present the message and I work on their heart. But what happens is instead of seeing people as a quest so you can put another notch in your salvation belt. You actually see people as real and hurting and broken. No matter what they're going through, what lifestyle they're in, you just love people. And all of a sudden, you develop relationships with them. And then they, they start asking questions. Because I'm telling you, if you're not a typical Christian, they're going to ask questions. When you actually show the love of God to people, they're going to go, now you said you're a Christian, right? Yeah. Okay, I need to work on this idea because I've seen Christians. But see, they haven't seen Christ-like people. They've seen people with awesome and good intentions who've been buried in religion. The word religion in Latin is two words. It's the word re, which means a return to, and the word ligari, which is to bind like a joint or ligament. Religion actually means to return to bondage. And many people have returned to bondage. They were free. You know, people say, remember when you were first saved? Most of us don't because religion started to dominate our lives. And then we didn't know up from down. We didn't know what to do. Okay, so I'm just going to work harder. And then we started doing this work harder out of duty-driven life. And we got burnout and we grew weary. I'm not trying to belabor this point, but I feel like there's people here this morning that maybe they're on the edge. They're, they're in the in-between season. We're like, God, I don't even know if I can do this anymore. I don't even know if I can live this life of Christianity. It's so hard. It's so heavy at times. I feel like I'm not performing good enough. I feel like I'm not fulfilling what I should fulfill. And it's like the Holy Spirit is telling you today to stop what you're doing to lay it aside and to find rest in the friendship and love with him. Amen. And for some of us, that's hard. 
It's like, but I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be doing something. Your doing comes out of your knowing. And when you know that he loves you, when you know that he's your father and he's a good father, and for some of you, you had horrible fathers, and I'm sorry. So maybe you need to see God as a mother because God holds both attributes in the Bible. He's father and mother. And that's what I love with Paul Young in the shack when he wrote the book, Whether You Agree With the Theology or Not. I love the fact that Mackenzie, when he meets God for the first time, it's this beautiful, loving black woman because he had a horrible father and he could have never received, but eventually it turns into a loving father. God had to meet him where he was. So wherever that is, if you see God as a loving father or mother, I'm good with all that. God has all the attributes and he doesn't have an issue with that. But we have to see that he loves us, that he cares about us, that he has our best interest in mind and he wants us to draw near to him because he's drawing near to us to have intimacy, to have friendship that will completely radically change our lives. See, in all our efforts at service and discipleship, the best ingredient is friendship with our friend friendship with God. Without it, service and discipleship become qualities necessary for employment with God. In other words, we're good at this with, as humans. We're, it's got to be dry and measurable, always under the scrutiny of the big boss. Did you punch the time card? Did you get to work on time? Did you do the stuff you're supposed to do? Did you whistle while you worked? A lot of Christians aren't whistling. You know, did, did, you, did you have a pleasing attitude? Did you have a smile on? Smiles, everybody. Let's, let's do the smile because we're representing the company. You're not representing a company. You're representing a kingdom. You're representing your dad. You're representing your friend. And so we have to see this correctly, amen? Have you ever gotten tired of serving and serving in serving, I'll be the first to raise my hand and say, man, I, I've served so many years in church, I can't even count them anymore. I mean, I was serving in church. My mom and dad were pastors, so it was like I worked in every ministry of the church and I was constantly serving over and over and over. Now, I don't know what your situation is, where you are in this walk right now, but if you're someone that maybe got through it, what ended the fatigue? For me, it was stopping and moving over, getting off the job, See, if we see work in ministry as a J-O-B, we've lost focus. It's not a job. I mean, honestly, even as a pastor, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm hired to do this. But honestly, if I didn't have bills, I wouldn't care about a paycheck. I, I wouldn't. I love doing what God's called me to do. It's a passion for me. So what God has called you to do, is it a passion for you? Because it's not a job. It's a ministry and it's a calling and we're all ministers of the gospel. Now, let me say this. Is service to God a bad thing? Absolutely not. I don't want anyone to get the idea that, oh, we don't have to do anything anymore. What I'm saying for some of us is maybe we need to take a season off from doing the JLB so that we can rest, have friendship with God, be restored, be refreshed, and then come back to those things that he's called us to do, being love-driven. Does that make sense? So everybody can't walk on and go, I'm not working at the church anymore. See you later. (laughs) 
Because there's a lot of us I've talked to you, I mean, you've got this. I mean, this is clicking with you. So for you, it's like, I love doing what I do. Now, am I tired sometimes? Do I go home going, wow, that really pulled out of me. I mean, my gifts and calling. I mean, I, I spent myself. But doesn't it feel good when you spend everything you have for the benefit of others? That's what true love is. But again, if it's duty-driven, you're going to burn out, man. You're going to burn out. If it's love-driven, you'll constantly be refreshed. Is this speaking to you today? Because here's the thing. Our service isn't as slaves, but as friends, as sons and daughters. And again, I'm not downplaying God's awesomeness and his bigness here. I think of the example of my kids, you know, especially when they're younger. You know, kids are in awe of their parents. You know, my dad could beat up your dad. Like, they think their dad's the coolest, their mom's the coolest. Oh, my gosh, it's amazing. That awe and reverence that, that you have for your parent, especially as a young child, it's the same thing we have for God. But let's get past that to a level where we go, as awesome as God is, he literally is drawing near to me and wants me to draw near to him to have friendship and intimate relationship with him. See, God's not just the big boss. He's with you. Now, a lot of times when we think of the big boss, we see the person in the, the corner office up in the sky, and they never come down to the main floor where the laborers are. But see, the Bible says that we're co-laborers with Christ. This is beautiful to me. I mean, he's right there on the calling or the ministry with you, sharing in your labor, delighting in your style. Teresa, you got a different style than me, sister, and it's awesome. I love it. Bruce, completely different style than me, but I love it, brother. I love you. Jonathan, the same way. Skip, the same way. Jeremy, Kristen, John. I wish I knew all your names. We could take an hour and go through this. But we all are built specifically the way we are for a purpose. Your personality is okay. He's not looking for these cookie-cutter Christians. God is looking for people who will be themselves in Christ. So your personality, uh, the way you react and act, that's all part of the package. And God is okay with that. I love this quote by Ralph Harris. He says this, If service to God has become a grinding drudgery, the antidote is not more service or less. It's a renewal of friendship with God. Isn't that beautiful? It's a renewal of friendship with God. When we fail and break down, it's not a failure of service or proper discipleship. It's a failure of love and grace. It's a failure of realizing who you are and whose you are. It's a failure of realizing that your heavenly father wants to be your friend and he wants to have intimate relationship with you. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 3. This will be our final verse for today. We're wrapping it up, bringing it to a close. 1 John chapter 3. I love the writings of John. John actually refers to himself in his gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I used to go, wow, this dude's pretty arrogant. <laughs> But the truth is, he got it. He understood this love relationship. He was the one who would be at a meal with Jesus, and he would lay his head on the chest of Jesus. Now, that's close, folks, because I don't even let my kids lay on me when, I, when I'm about to throw down. It's like, get off me, I'm eating. John understood this love relationship with God, with Jesus, and he got it. So I love in his writings, he says this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says, see what great love. Now, I want us to stop there for a minute. He's saying, see. See with your mind's eye 
I want you to see, I want you to transform by the renewing of your mind. He's saying, see what great love, he doesn't just say love, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And then he says this, and that is what we are. He didn't want anyone to think, okay, he's writing this letter and maybe he's referring to them. Maybe that person. Maybe, oh, it must be him because, I mean, he's doing the work of the ministry. He says we've all been called the children of God and that is who we are. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Think about this. The word lavished means generous. God is generous with his great love. It means extravagant. He's extravagant with his great love. It means luxurious. I love that word. Say that with me, luxurious. Say it again, luxurious. I feel like I'm in a salon right now getting a facial or something. It's luxurious. But it's beautiful because the love of God, this great love, he's luxurious with it. He's pampering you with it. He's saturating you. He's immersing you in his love because he desires friendship. He desires intimacy with you. Consider the amazing love the Father has lavished on us. I love this version. This is our defining moment. We began in the agape of God. The engineer of the universe is our Father. So it's no wonder that the performance-based systems of this world just cannot see this. Why? Because they do not recognize their origin in God. They feel indifferent towards anyone who does. This is something we have to see. We have to see this friendship that we have with God. God is your Father and your friend. The fuel that we need for service is His friendship and His love. Amen? Will you pray with me? As we bow our heads and just close our eyes, I just want to ask us a few questions. And I don't want us to answer these out loud. I want us to think about answering these inward to kind of assess where we are today. Number one, if Jesus were to call you on your cell phone today, first of all, why might he do that? And what might he want to talk about? Think about that. I think for some of us, we're like, well, he's going to call me because he's got some work for me to do. And and, and we're going to talk about the work that I need to do. What if Jesus were to call you today and just talk like a friend? No hidden agenda. No ulterior motive. Because Jesus knows something. He he knows a secret. That if this love relationship is developed, then the, the salvation he's already worked in, the fruit of the Spirit, the good works he's already worked in, you will work out naturally. It will be genuine. It will be authentic. Number two, is it difficult to accept that God actually likes you? And then why or why not? For some of us, I think it's tough. Maybe he loves me, but likes me? You don't know who I really am. But I do. You're a son or daughter of God. You're a friend of God. You're pleasing. You're holy. You're acceptable. Number three, have you ever experienced burnout in your Christian life or service? I think if we're all honest, we can say yes to that question. But here's another question. How did God refresh and revive you again? Think about that. Maybe you're here today and you say, 
I need to be refreshed. I need to be revived. I need to come back to a place where I literally trust God with my life. I know he has my best interest in mind. And I know that the only way to to have the feel for love-driven life is to allow this friendship, to allow his love to saturate me. This love that he just so lavishly bestowed upon me. Number four, how easy is it to admit when you're not knowing or trusting God or trusting his love for you? That's a tough one, isn't it? I think we need to get to a point. Whenever you see yourself facing burnout, when you feel yourself growing weary and well-doing, you should ask yourself the question, hmm, am I not knowing God's love? Am I not trusting, having faith in God's love towards me? Because that's the answer. And it's, it's refocusing on the friendship that we have with God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray that it's changed our minds today, that things are coming into focus that we're seeing the truth about who we really are we're seeing the truth about who you really see us to be that we're beginning to realize who we are and whose we are I pray for every person here today who is maybe in those in-between stages they're just they're facing issues they're facing burnout they don't know if they even want to go on in this they might even think god i know you love me but i'm just done with performing i don't know what else to do i just feel burnout i feel weary disheartened holy spirit i just pray that you bring peace to people right now in jesus name i pray that your love would just saturate People be pampered in your love, in your grace. And they realize that we aren't a sum total of what we do. We are who you made us to be, and then out of a love-driven life, we do those things you called us to do. I pray for healing. I pray for restoration. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.